Hi, this is Reese Roper, and you're listening to our newest podcast ever. Hey, everybody, this is Andrew and John, and we love this podcast because it's about us. Welcome to Magnified Pod, the second season, our newest podcast ever. And these are not my pants. I don't know where my pants are. My pants are off because they just got blown off. That's I'm it. Andrew. I'm John. And this is but our podcast. Tell us why your pants got blown off. Um, because the most amazing thing just happened. Um, so we were going into this episode thinking, you know, we're going to talk about the end is here. We've been sort of punting on doing this, this episode for a while. Right. And we're like, okay, we're finally, we've been planning for it. We're going to get to it. We have our boy, Jason Zymet, unoriginal vinyl joining us this evening to talk about it. But then... <laughs> He, Jason has been teasing uh, to me the past couple days. I have a special guest, a mystery guest for the pod. And I'm like, okay, what does that mean? And it, it kind of made me feel like, who is this? Um, right. Am I going to embarrass myself? Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm also, I've been growing this gross quarantine mustache. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I don't want anybody who I need to impress to see me right now. Yeah, yeah. Um but I was like, all right, well, let's just let's just roll with this. We'll see what happens. And and so John and I were doing our regular intro stuff, talking, finally covering your end is here voicemails. Um and we were gonna get into the five. Right. However, uh, as we were getting ready to just kind of go into the album and wait for Jason to sign on, a little uh, video box popped up for the meeting, and it read, Masaki Lou. <laughs> and we were both like, <laughs> we both became Tim Allen. <laughs> we, were both, <laughs> we were like, this is the home impodment <laughs> podcast. He's a huge... Yeah. Alan fan, so. Yeah, we were, you know, we were both Al Podland. <laughs> there you go. I don't know. That sucked. <laughs> I was, <Not> all time. <laughs> let's stop. Let's stop with the uh, home improvement okay, puns. <laughs> yeah, okay. We're really burying the lead here. Yeah, yeah. Masaki Lou is on the podcast today um, with Jason, and we got to talk to him for a little bit about the end is here. We got to talk to him about the first five iron record. We got to talk to him about his ex experience with the band, watching them grow up. Uh, we got some behind the scenes, probably uh, never before heard for fans. Yeah. Uh, some audio that you're gonna have to stick around and listen to. This was uh, blowing our minds. Yeah. Uh, we were, I was just sitting here like, um, and I pulled out my, uh, in my mind, my, my, the Kanye quote <laughs> made, made famous by Dave Chappelle. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, um, my life is dope and I do dope shit. <laughs> yes, that's, yes, accurate. Uh, uh, and thanks, that's, that's, thanks to Jason. <laughs> thanks to Jason. I just, I, 
so we're gonna we're gonna chop this episode into yeah uh yet again another episode we just keep we just keep lying to you guys about when we're going to cover this record but we we're just rolling with the punches over here okay that's right life Uh, is dealing out a lot of strange stuff right now and we're just rolling with it as best we can we're just doing we're just doing the best we can but uh jason our shadow producer coming through with with some big gifts this evening so we uh we uh love this guy so um so you might know Masaki from his uh producing and engineering all of the five iron records yeah, yeah up until the end is here at least yeah uh he even has some insight into engine of a million plots which yes. uh yeah you're going to have to you're going to have to listen and um you know Jason t- uh speaks with Misaki uh through through some of this as we we are befuddled and dumbfounded <laughs> by by yeah. what was happening but yeah. um very generous of both of them for Misaki to take the time to speak with two guys he's never seen up until the moment he logged into this meeting <laughs> yeah exactly um, yeah but, it's a it's a really special conversation and i can't imagine a five iron fan not enjoying hearing it so yeah so uh without further ado let's let's just let's just get into it let's just throw to that that conversation with jason and saki let's do it oh oh hello (laughs) oh my god (laughs) wow Saki! oh my god (laughs) hello hello hey (laughs) how are you uh, I'm good. I don't know if you guys, I was asked to join this meeting. <laughs> yes. Oh my, yes. Uh, okay. We had no idea that you would be joining <laughs> us, uh, but we are thrilled that you are. This unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> so I assume Jason Zymet is a, is a mutual friend of ours. <laughs> uh, yeah, sort of. So, yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> Maybe what you guys can do is to help me out is to tell me what, what are you guys doing? We've been doing a podcast for almost two years about uh, sort of the Christian alternative scene. Okay. We did uh, our first season was about MXPX. We did the entire MXPX discography. We went through every one of their releases, their side projects. And in that, uh, those episodes, we also covered issues related to kind of the Christian punk subculture and other things relating to politics and um, just kind of like doing a deep dive into that. We both grew up uh, listening to the music, listening to uh, listening to these bands and they were a significant part of our, the framing of our um, kind of our identities as, as young adults. And so um, we kind of wanted to just kind of dive into that, those topics, these albums and talk about their significance and, and connect with people who they were important to as well. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. They were, uh, well, and you've done that obviously with, uh, continued that through five iron. Yes. Yeah. We, so we, we started, uh, this is, we're calling it our, uh, calling it the second season doing a little little nod to the 
to that the five iron song um and yeah we so we started in january and we've covered every every five iron release up until this the end is the end is here um and then we're going to branch off and do some of the side stuff we talked about roper previous Mm -hmm. week uh, we t- we have a Brave Saint Saturn episode in the can that we're going to release, um, and then we're going to get into some of the the after stuff before we get back into uh, engine. So, got it. Very yeah. cool, hey, Naki. It's Jason. Good to see you, man. Yeah, good to see you too. How are you? Uh, so- I, I'm doing well. We're kind of in a weird part of the country. You know, we're on full uh, shelter at home, and. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's not, well, it, I mean, you know, it's, it's fun in the sense of spending time with your family, but not the reason why. <laughs> right. So, and, you know, we, yeah, the parks are full of people. I, we just actually took a bike ride and I'm like, it's kind of hard to social distance right now with this many people hanging out in parks. <laughs> oh right. my God. Yeah. So, Where are so, you now? So I'm, I'm in, um, I live in, uh, I'm in Benicia, California, which is, 10 miles about north of Concord, California, where we recorded most of the five iron albums. And okay. so I'm in my home. Then this home is where uh, we recorded, what, that was 2004 when we moved the studio back here. So that would have been, it was either Roper or one of the Brave Saint Saturn. So when, yeah, when we initially, we moved the studio into my home and Reese lived with me for I don't know, a couple months. That might have also been the year that he met Amy. I can't remember. So, Is that the light of things hoped for? The tooth and nail, the only tooth and nail release they did? It may have been. I'm trying to think. It was right in the middle of the move. It was a big mess. And Reese was a trooper. He, well, he also enjoyed being away from uh, uh, things at, at times and kind of found a haven here. So, yeah. Um, so I'm trying to think if, yeah, if that was the year that he met Amy. I, I, I don't, I don't remember. It's all a blur. Yeah, yeah. No. So just so Andrew and uh, you guys know, hey, I just I talked to Misaki maybe one time eight months ago while I was in Concord <laughs> uh-huh. on the phone. Uh, Leonor gave me his number, and I just said, "I want to see where One Way Studios was, where the Five Iron records that I love so deeply were recorded." And so uh, Masaki was kind enough to just give me the address, and I drove over there and it wasn't a studio anymore. It was something else. I'm not really sure. I didn't even go inside. It's, it's, actually, it's called Bill Bentley Productions. It's, it's a guy, the guy that I transferred it to still keeps a production company there, but it's, right. it, and it's still kind of a studio, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's very industrial, you know, an industrial park. You would never yeah. know that we were, you know, doing the things that we were doing in there. And then I went to the taco stand you recommended right after. Yes, that, that place is great. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted Masaki on here because I thought that the perspective of the sound engineer of this album would give a lot of, um, shed a lot of light on, you know, maybe things like what songs might've been cut in from previous performances. Hmm. I went to the, the final show. This is Jason, by the way, as I'm at speaking from Denver, I went to the final show uh, with Five Iron, but they, I also went to the night before show in Boulder, Colorado, where I, I noticed Saki behind the uh, console doing recording and cutting and pasting and, and interesting stuff for a, a much looser performance of what would be the final concert. It was much more uh, 
let's say Colorado personal fan like intimate setting intimate theater and really a saying goodbye for me happened the night before the final show the mm. night the final show was a very uh cathartic release I think for the band coming off that big long tour and uh emotional for everybody from around the country but for the Colorado deep fans that had been there since 95 like I had it was like the moment we said goodbye was actually in Boulder the night before in that show. So mm. I just wanted Masaki's perspective on what that tour was like. Because correct me if I'm wrong, Masaki, but you sound engineered the whole tour. Yeah. So I, I went on that tour because it was their last one. Normally I don't go do um, tours for live sound. But because it was her last one, uh, you know, Frank asked me, Frank Tate from Five Minute Walk asked me to be kind of part of it in a larger way. And so, yeah, I went on that tour and um, yeah, it was, it, it was really cool. It was, it was an incredible tour. It was, we were tired by that last show. Yeah. We were worn out and, and of course the weather was terrible. So um, it's blizzarding you know. right now at this moment in Denver. <laughs> We've got at least a foot of snow that started today at one in the afternoon. So yeah, that's wow. just how quick it happens in Colorado. Yeah. And that's definitely, as I recall, because I was in Fort Collins at Colorado State, we had to right. drive around 90 minutes to the show in Denver. And it was just a harrowing blizzard and people coming well, from all over the country, all, all corners of the country. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, there was a carload of kids that somebody died on the way to that show too. Oh no. Jeez. And so, yeah, yep. that was, that was really, we hadn't heard that till, 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 you know, about a week after the show, but, um, but that, yeah, that was terrible, but we were all just exhausted and, you know, people, they were also like, you know, they're, they're in emotional turmoil because, you know, finally getting home, after that long tour right you know, but then you know faced with the, the the mountain of playing your last show right and so you know that was that was really it was it was really emotional for all of us we're you know and when you compound all the um the the fatigue and um and just things you know that we were all experiencing at that point so it was it was kind of a, a whirlwind of emotion and the weather of course didn't help but we knew it was going to be giant and the shows, all the shows already leading up to that were fairly, um, I'd, I'd say emotional in the sense of that, like, you know, a lot of those audiences knew that that was the last time that they were probably going to see them unless they were planning mm -hmm. on traveling to that show. And I was just blown away um, at that show just by how many people I met from, you know, like I'm from the Bay area and I saw several of my friends there that all, came out just for the show and then you know literally had a couple there come up to me and just say you know hey we we flew in from germany it was either germany or or the netherlands yeah one of the two um and i can't quite exactly remember but they said you know don't tell the band we did that we don't want them to think we're crazy <laughs> <laughs> so like yeah i i don't think they'll think that but that is kind of crazy that they would you know they came across the world to see to see five irons last show yeah. Saki, yeah. what was going through your mind that last night, the very last night? Are you thinking about like how you have to dial in to a certain frequency with regard to recording? Or are you just letting all the emotions completely envelop you and you're not even worried about the mixing aspect of it? Um, well, we were pretty much on autopilot at that point, you know what I mean, with show productions and stuff like that. The big thing that happened at that show was we were thrown a different mixing board. Um, you know, most bands now carry their own. 
but I was walking into new ones all the time. And so the one that showed up for that was one that I'd never worked on before. And it's, it's actually, a, it's, it's, it's almost a legendary mixing board. It's called a gamble and, and you rarely ever see those, but they, the, the production company brought that out and I'm like sitting there going, holy crap, what am you know, like I've never worked on one of these. And so for me actually leading into the show, um, we were we were scrambling on a lot of things um, because we we're also trying to get the projector. You know, this is all crude. You know, now everybody has their stuff timed perfectly, all locked to a computer and things sure. like that. And we were just winging it. You know what I mean? So we had this rinky-dink projector, and I had a friend of mine there, and I'm just like, bro, you got to help me get this projector up. I don't have time to do that. You know, it was kind of like the slideshow that we would show during like Canada and stuff like that and so um there was no in-ear monitors for the band no no yeah this is all this is all way before any of that kind of stuff you know how production is now right so so i was scrambling up until that and i was you know after i got through sound check i felt okay i can relax a little bit but to me i was still like i got this new concert or console this is the big one this is the big show i was actually fairly I'd have to say not disappointed, but concerned with what we had tracked at all the other shows leading mm-hmm. up to this show. And so, you know, cause I was, cause we had taken a live recording rig with us to, um, to all, you know, a, a fair amount of that tour, actually probably about the last, last several shows we started employing it to just capture stuff just in case. Yeah. And so, in fact, you know what I've got, um, let me see if I could, yeah, this is. I mean, so since you guys have me, and I yes. was, you know, um, you know, I I kind of thought it might be funded. I have um, well, I have my computer, which has lots of fun stuff on it. But let me just real quick take a look. I can't remember. We tracked several of the shows, and I remember thinking, well, they could have done a lot better on that show, and you know, that that was not, you know, I was I wasn't pleased with with some of the stuff we were capturing along the way, and I think part of that was because I think. Okay, here's my five iron high car swivel. Yeah, so, um, well, actually, you know what? Some of this stuff is, okay, so I'm looking at some of these dates. I think actually some of this stuff is from Proof the Youth. Wow. Um, uh, but so we, you just yeah, have, have, you have an archive of all these shows that compiled together to make their live releases. Is that what you're saying? On some of it, yeah. So I'm trying to actually, th- yeah, because I've got Atlanta Fest, a live fest. Baltimore, Birmingham, Carolwinds, Columbus. I actually wow. think that might have, a lot of that might have been proof the youth. Actually, now that I'm looking at it, yeah. Um, what I did remember was that um, that the the last show that they played. Cause, so again, going leading up to this tour, so there was okay. I don't want to throw people under the bus, um, but <laughs> some of the openers were causing us fr- frustration. Yeah. And I had gotten into some pretty, you know, I was also par- partially tour managing some of that. I got some pretty heated debates. Uh, I wouldn't say debates, arguments um, uh, with, with some of the guys, mostly because of the, the, way, the way I knew Five Iron likes their show run and the way some of the other bands felt that they could run their own show um, were in conflict. And so not that Five Iron was clamping down, but when it came to when it came to their fan safety that was that was paramount to them and so there were you know with with the five iron audiences there were a couple shows where i had to stop the show and it was during the opener 
Wow. And uh, they were pretty upset with me. And I'm like, look, you literally, there are kids getting hurt. They're pulling kids out of these shows, you know, like five, 10 at a time, and then taking them to out because they're hurt. And right. I'm like, that, that's not going to happen under, you know, like while, while I'm managing this. And they're like, well, it doesn't matter. They're having fun. I'm like, no, no that's, that, that is not okay. You know so what I mean? for so, a refresher, that tour, did you guys go over this already? But I think it was Ace Troubleshooter, Bleach, and John Rubin. Those four? Those uh, no, it was. Uh, I thought Reliant K was one of the last. They played. They, they played, played at the last show. show. Yeah, yeah. They only. I don't. I don't remember them playing any other shows except for okay. that one. It's that last okay. one. They flew yeah, in. that was the Denver show. So, um, it was. It from. Okay. <laughs> okay. I, Holland, I, it was uh, Holland and Bleach. Holland and Bleach. So, and you guys can make your own conclusion. I'm not, I don't want, you know, I'm yeah. friends with all those guys and they're great yeah. guys. But at the time we were all young and we were just all trying to, you know, I was just very adamant that kids did not get hurt at their show. Yeah. Five Iron also felt very adamant about that as well. They would stop if, if they saw, you know, things getting too far out of hand. But right. the, some of the openers did not necessarily feel as strongly about that as I did. And so that, you know, there was a lot of tension. There was, there's also tension in the bands, you know, as, as you're writing this out, you know, people are getting emotional, you know, for them also, you know, you're, you're start, you start to think about things like, what am I going to do after this? You know, yeah. like what, what's my next step? This is like, I'm graduating college without a college degree. You know? <laughs> and, uh, sure. and, and so, you know, a lot of them were, you know, were dealing with th those type of thoughts and, and so, you know, there were, you know, at that point too, a lot of them, you know, had been gotten married and, you know, there was, there was, there was, there was a lot, there's just a, definitely a lot of whirlwind of emotions, especially for some of those guys that started really, really young, like Leonor yeah. and Brad, you know, Brad especially was very young when he started. I yeah. think they were the same age. Um, it's really hard to imagine being in the moment present on, you know, November 23rd or whatever it was, 2003 sticking with that moment as a band member when you're so busy looking into the past at the eight years of history the band has had but then also toward the future of what is the unknown like what yeah. am i going to do that's so hard for me to wrap my head around what a band member in that situation would probably be thinking and we all as an audience and fans it was palpable to us like they're uh, being disconcerted with the future and is this the right thing uh, yeah it's kind of scared and trepidatious but also nostalgic was kind of evident on the faces of every fan as well as the band. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. You know, it's, you also seen, you know, like you, for some of them too, it's like, you kind of seen the collapse of your identity. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, cause like, this is what I've done for X amount of years through some of my most for, formative years. You know what I mean? Right. You think about like, you know, who are you if you did the exact same thing from 18 to 26 or, you know what I mean? Whatever it yeah. might be you know uh -huh. that's that's incredibly formative time and so you're kind of seeing you know like also the collapse of your identity um and you know and and we're also we were right on the brink of the collapse of the music industry right so yeah. as well too you know so that that was tough for me too because i i don't i used to up until probably about just five years ago i was in denial about some things and just basically finally just got comfortable with finally saying, well, I only do the studio part-time now. Yeah. And, you know, cause, mm -hmm. cause I was, you know, we see the, the full collapse of the music industry as well. Cause well, that yeah. was literally, you know, 2003, you know, the, the, the industry really started collapsing after nine 11's recession. 
Right. And we've talked and, about this on the podcast many times. You guys have said for Five Irons history, this band was on a calendar cycle repeating itself every single year, every right. year you'd go into the studio and record with Misaki. Right. Every November you'd be dropping an album, more or less, for eight straight years. It's almost right, like right. they barely ever had a break in releases, which meant for you, Misaki, you were gainfully employed. Yeah. Or at least identified yourself as a sound engineer for that eight-year cycle, right? Yeah, and you know that was you know, and Five Iron was just one of a number of projects I worked on. You know, oh, so so you know, with the five-minute walk stuff, and you know, and some some others, you know, also with local stuff as well, and some other stuff that wasn't so local. You know, that was that was um, you know, I still like people when at a lot of times when people say, "Well, what's the biggest project you ever worked on?" and I, I would. It's weird because I'd say Five Iron was the, the most legacy project I've ever worked on. But, you know, they, they but I, the W's outsold them. You know what I mean? That's, and that's, that's really odd to me. You know what I mean? When I think that's about curious. that. That's curious. Yeah. You know, so not, now they only outsold them on one release. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> right. So, but it was still like, if I have to say like, well, you know, what's the project that you worked on that has sold the most? Well, well, actually it'd probably be Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, but but the w's would probably be that but for me more of my identity i think falls in line with with my history with five iron sure mm -hmm. yeah. so um for somebody that was there at the very beginning to literally like their last show i'm curious how you um saw them evolve as people and um not just people, but I guess as musicians and people who became um, started off green and then by the end were, you know, tour weary and, and maybe a little bit, you listen to some of the, the lyrics and, and Reese has got some things to say about the Christian music industry. And oh, yeah. so I, I'm just curious about your, your full experience kind of like from ver the beginning to the end, how you saw, some of the the big picture stuff kind of shift with sure. them. Sure, sure, yeah. That actually, I really like telling a story because it's it's fun. Um, for me, like I remember my okay. So we encountered um, uh, my first encounter with Five Iron was when I was in a band called Dime Store Profits, and then um, we were doing this thing called the Five Bucks in a Blanket tour with Black Eyed Siva, and then we rolled into to Denver and we were at this church and we were supposed to open for this hot local band. And so, and the local band was going to headline. Well, I, then I first heard, you know, like, well, this local band is also, you know, they're playing another show earlier tonight. So they're just going to show up right near the, you know, like when, when there's time for them to come on. And I was also actually, you know, handling a lot of the production at that point as well. And I said, well, that's freaking ridiculous. You know what I mean? So I was kind of pissed off about it. And so we did our stuff and they literally just rolled in. And at that point they were very, very, um, they're super young. And Scott, like when Scott walked in, I was like, these guys are full second wave Scott. Like he had the big mutton chop beard <laughs> thing going on. And I'm like, and they were dressed very much like, you know, like the second wave Scott guys. Yeah. And, uh, specials and all those. Yeah. Things. Yeah. Kind of, it was like, you know, it, yeah. And, and then I watched them play. We, you know, we got them set up and I watched them and I'm like, these guys are great. You know, and I, and, and they, and I literally, after that show, um, you know, this is before cell phones. And I think we were, we may have had pagers at that point, but 
I, it was, it was my top priority. I, I went, uh, the first gas station we stopped at to when we, after we left there, I called Frank, uh, Tate up and I said, you have to check out this band. They, they you know, like I, he, he knew that we were opening, you know, that he had arranged for a local opener. And I said, I just said, you have to check out the, this band. And his, it's interesting. His first question back to me was, was not, were they good? What were they like or anything like that? He actually said, well, uh, do they love Jesus? And I said, well, I, I honestly, I don't know, but, but they're a great band. And so, and then at, after that, we kind of just forgot about them. I, mean, I just kind of forgot because we were in the middle of a tour. And then my next encounter with them was at Cornerstone that year. And uh, what happened is we were, Five Minute Walk had a stage at Cornerstone. And um, basically we were, Frank and we were leaving a day early and Reese walks up to me and uh and goes hey man can we play on your guys' stage and and i basically just said i am so sorry i mean they're you know they're full-on cornerstone campers you know what i mean die hard like i'm the little band that came out and camped at cornerstone and right and, and did that and and they tried you know and i said bro i would love to I, I at that point i didn't remember that that he was the one from the that he was the from five iron until i actually didn't remember that until i walked away like, I think oh, that was the guy from that band, that, that great band that we played with in Colorado. And I just said, you know, we're shutting down the stage today. I wish I could help you out. And I, yeah, you know, we couldn't. And then shortly after that, I said, I think I'd mentioned to Frank, I said, I think that was that guy that from that band, did you ever call them or look them up? And he's like, no, I don't, well, I don't know. But I, he put it on his radar at that point. Mm-hmm. And then um, slowly after that, um, Frank did reach out to them. And at that same time, Gene Eugene had also reached out to them. Mm-hmm. Um, was it Brainstorm Records, I think? Yeah. And so well, there, was an Alarma, there was an interest from Alarma Records for the, that band at the time at Cornerstone. Yeah. They had an offer from them. And yeah, so, I thought it was Gene when he was doing Brainstorm, which is kind of was a sub portion of Alarma, I think. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. And I remember, you know, like, I, I, in, um, at that point, Frank. Um, Frank Tate, who's is a great guy from Five Minute Walk, he had um, he was doing band retreats and things like that. And Five Iron just happened to be on the West Coast, and he invited them to come to the Five Minute Walk retreat. And most of the bands on Five Minute Walk at that time were more kind of you know rootsy, straight laced, dime store, the Black Eyed Siva, that kind of in that that realm. And I'm trying to think who else was there. I don't know if Drive. I, I can't remember where the timeline. Drive model engine. Uh, right. Well, Black Eyed, yeah, there it was model. It was Black Eyed Siva at the time before they became Model Engine. Right, right. And so, so it's a bunch of, and then here come all these kind of punk rock kids into this retreat, and everybody just fell in love with them, and just you know, like they're just such great kids, and they they literally felt like kids to us at the, that point, except for maybe Dennis, and um, and then literally, I think it was short right after that retreat, Frank said, "I'm signing these guys. They're not going to drive home." they're going to drive down to your studio and we're going to start their record. Wow. And so that's how upbeats and beatdowns came, came. Yeah. Yeah. That was the first one. Yeah. It came up, came about like they literally just drove down with us after that. And I happened to have a break in studio. So, and we pounded that thing out. Uh, we tracked it in eight days Wow. And, uh, without even, you know, like at that point, you know, bands first records are usually pretty strong because they have their songs that they've accumulated. Right. right you know, for a while. And, you know, then you hear about the sophomore slump, you know what I mean? Because, you know, they just threw out all their best songs on their first. (laughs) 
Right, exactly. Well, that's because that's because Scott Kerr was such a prolific writer. Yeah. And, and you know, and he was very budding at that time, you know what I mean? To you know, the stuff that he does did with Yellow Second and just, you know, some of the stuff that I have on my hard drive um that I have some a few of his songs that he never put out that are just just phenomenal. Wow. And so, um yeah, so it's a, it's an interesting uh well, and in fact some some of the songs on engines he had had for a long time. I had some early versions of stuff like uh, yeah, I'd have to pull that up, but um, but yeah, some of the stuff was like, well, that, oh, you decided to put that on engines. We talked about that song almost twenty years ago. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So so like so as I watched them progress, it, it was interesting because you know we got we went through you know like I. I they lived with me at the time. Like they never, you know, when they were in California, they didn't stay at hotels. They stayed in my house. Mm. And so we were together like 24 seven. And while we were working on these records and, you know, my house at that time, you know, it was way before I was married. Um, and there'd just be people sprawled out all over the place. I can't remember which album it was. It may have been, uh, it, it may have been, uh, what the fourth album, um, uh, but Reese, you know, Reese, Reese is definitely, you know, he gets as, as, you know, extroverted as his personality seems like he's, he's fairly introverted and needs, needs time away from people. And he literally brought a tent with him and an extension cord and, and slept in my backyard for probably the first four nights of recording that album and decide that's, that's not what I want to do. That all the hype? Uh, yeah, I think that sounds about right. It was somewhere, somewhere along the ways. It was, you know, but you know, we had karaoke parties here. We had, it was, it was oh, man. We literally having the time of our lives here, you know? And, um, and so, yeah, so, so watching them progress from, from kids to, to adults was, was, was a privilege. Yeah. Um, Five Iron to me had probably the most, um, I'd say, integrity out of any of the bands i've ever worked with and sorry for those other bands if you know if any of you guys hear this but <laughs> um but i you know like five iron would not adhere to things that were industry standards that that were just designed to make the openers look bad and make right. the headline look good that's what reese wrote about the song blue mix blue mixing yeah 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 that was common practice we got blue mixed several times you know, I'd be at a show and we're at Cornerstone and we're opening for, you know, they were playing ahead of a, you know, a bigger band and the guy would just clamp down on the limiters on me. And I'm like, my mix is going to suck. There's no possible way I can get this to sound good because you've clamped me down so hard. The PA is pumping and breathing weird. It's, you know, I, it, there's just no chance with this. That's and, you know, even bands that were good friends with them, I remember screaming at, you know, and I don't scream ever. So probably, you know, within the 20 times that I have screamed at people in my life, you know, one of them was at one of the managers saying, you cannot do this to my band. You yeah. know, you're, you're, this is a co-headline tour. You cannot bloom excess, you know? Right. And um, so, you know, if you really want to put two and two together, you could probably figure that out. But, <laughs> you know, um, you know, so there were things like that in five iron, they said they never clamped down on bands. They never, demanded a percentage of their merchandise they never limited the merchandise that a band could sell you know because that's all stuff that happens to openers you can only sell two designs or you know and then you wow. have to also pay 
percentages or different things like that. And so that's, you know, next time if you see an opener, I mean, obviously the scene's a lot different now. There is no scene actually. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. you, you can, you'll see that like openers get clamped down on in multiple ways. Five iron never did that. Of course, if you were an opener, there's not a chance you could outsell five iron on merch anyway. Yeah. So they, that was, that was astonishing to me to watch the amount of merch um, that kids would buy at their show. And, um, and, and which I think is a great testament to them because, you know, like a lot of people, I think watching Reese, especially, you know, Reese was in my wedding and I was in his wedding. Reese and I were really close on a, on a weird, weird level. Cause I think we just, we connected on certain ways. You know, there was an incident at, um, like, uh, well, it was one of, during one of the cornerstones and, I remember uh, Frank goes, hey, man, can you go pick up the electrics at the D.C. airport or I can't remember what some airport. And uh, this was right after um, uh, what's ugly day. Well, the, the, what happened in ugly day, that's that was right after what happened. And so, you know, obviously he was his heart was broken right. at that point. And he just said, hey, I'm, I'm like, hey, man, I'm going to D.C. And he's like, can I go with you? And this is like in the middle of Cornerstone Fest where you would pretty much want your lead singer there you know what i mean they'd already played and uh um and so they were just hanging out and and he's i'm like yeah if you want to do that, that that'd be great and so we hopped in the van and i i mean i loved it. and we just we just talked and talked and and you know and just and sat in silence a lot and let him grieve and go through you know i, I don't know what goes to that guy's mind you know what i mean because he's 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 a genius um when i when i think about his lyrics i mean like that guy's yeah. a genius yeah, yeah. and so um, you know, we we ended up in D.C. and and you know I, we decided. I don't know if he suggested it. I think he suggested it, and I think this was possibly the best therapy he could have ever experienced. It's like, hey, let's go to the Holocaust Museum. Mm, yeah. And so we went to the Holocaust Museum, and I think that might have been the best therapy he could have ever had for for being so down. Wow. You know, and we just we just we walked out of it just silent. I don't think we said anything to each other for like two hours you know what i mean just like other than like do you remember where the van is or you know what I mean? like something like that you know and and i think you know we just we we we, we had a, a lot of times and you know obviously we did the 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 roper and the brave saint saturn stuff and so you know really watching him change as a person um was really interesting to me and i mean not that it wasn't just as powerful to watch some of those other guys but you know he was the mouthpiece of the band and and seeing you know the depth Mm -hmm. Even what he wrote on the first record to what he was writing later, I, I kept thinking, this guy's got an unbelievable fountain yeah. inside of him. Yeah. That's one of the things that we we have talked about a lot on on this podcast is listening to um, Reese tackle um, really big issues and not shying away from them and just being straight up with people and being honest yeah. and, and that he didn't necessarily always come to a conclusion, but just say like, I'm wrestling with this or I'm having a hard time with this, or this is kind of where I'm at now and yeah. kind of watching him over the years kind of progress and, and shift and change. And so like, as you were actually watching him grow at, in a different way as fans, we were kind of listening to him and 
hearing him change and shift and grow and mature. And, and that's something that we have um, talked about just admiring the hell out of the guy, just like because of the depth and the earnestness and the honesty that he brought to every record. Well, I think, I think what, what happened with five iron is, and I, and I've tried to explain this to some people is that, people were affected by by the band and and they weren't like five iron like you know especially at that time you know you there were the big three you know at that point there was five iron insiders and uh supertones you know what i mean and right. then a myriad of, of other smaller bands trying to do what those three were doing and and you know to me i've always thought like you know what people like those other bands but people love five iron right and i think it's because with the, the lyrical content was so honest Reese never ever tried to make himself look cool. You know what I mean? He <laughs> yeah. was, I mean, by nature, you know, I mean, if yeah. you look at him by stature, like he's free, you know, he's tall, good looking. If you ever noticed his arm wingspan is actually kind of biologically messed up. <laughs> you know? And he'll be the first to talk about that. But, um, but yeah, it, you know, he, but he, you know, he definitely had what it takes to be a front man yeah. and, and, and do that well, but he never carried the demeanor of that. Yeah. And, and, and never brought the attitude with it. And then what he wrote about in his lyrics, you know, when you think about like things like where's Micah and, and um, oh, what's the, you know, just talked about being not the cool kid. Right. And I think what ended up happening is all the not the cool kids felt like this guy understands me. Yeah. 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 And, and there are more not the cool kids than there are cool kids. You know, and right. and so I think that was significant that somebody could listen to their lyrics and and feel like he's he's speaking to me. It's not just Christian cheerleading, you know. It's not just that. You know, there's there's some there, I'm connecting with this guy or with this band through their music, and then the the whole rest of the band brought in so much integrity and um, and pers- personable. I mean, it was unbelievable watching Leonore handwrite letters back to everybody all the time wow. she was always on the tour bus with stacks of letters and she you know that, that was kind of her thing you know and she's still that way through this coronavirus thing i just like, I look at her instagram she's like call me if you need help yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know and and, and that's sure. that's that's her there there's there there's no there's no underlying you know there's no second leonore that's her right and yeah. and so when all these guys brought all of that together um, it, it really made for a very unique band that, and, and unlike any other band that I've ever worked with, for sure. Hmm. And watching the fights were also, you know, very interesting too. You know, <laughs> like sometimes I'm like, wow, that, that was, that was tough. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, yeah. I, and, and, but I've seen just unbelievable, you know, character that I, that I've just, I, I can, you know, if you want to, I can just ramble off some random stories here and there that just pop to mind when I talk, when I think about these guys, but like, sure. you know, like when I remember in New Zealand, when we were uh, doing the show, New Zealand by, for all of us was by far probably our favorite tour of all time. Mm. It was unbelievable. It was, we'd spent a week in Hawaii uh, on a five minute walk retreat. And then the rest of the five minute walk bands went home and me and five iron, uh, or five iron and I went, uh, went to New Zealand for three weeks, right? Straight after that. Wow. And we was, 
uh, 11 shows, I think, in 21 days. <laughs> and so we had a lot of time and we had the most gracious hosts. They were, they were incredible hosts. And so, but we were at this one show and I remember um, after the show, you know, there's, um, we were out in the parking lot and to this, an indigenous guy, a Maori guy, um, got upset at somebody else and just tackled the guy and Brad, and like Brad, who is probably one of the quietest guys in the band, hmm. um, immediately jumped in and just said, hey, hey, you know, you know, what, and then the guy just started getting very angry at him saying, I'm going to kick your, you know, whatever. And, and just started going off and going off. And Brad says, go ahead. What will that do? I mean, you're welcome to do that. I'm not going to fight you back. But what is that going to prove? I mean, it, it literally we accomplished nothing except for you beat me up. And, and th he's saying this to a very, very angry person that was ready to hit him. Yeah. And, and you know, just watching that, I was just standing like, well, I'm not going to step in at this point because Brad is doing much better than what I could ever do, you know, at this, at, in this particular situation. And watching his maturity in that particular situation was, was really phenomenal to me. It really, wow. it, it really reframed Brad for me in that moment you know, or, or Nathaniel, you know, um, you know, just watching that particular interaction and, and, you know, just like the, the you know, like Andy, the drummer was always known as kind of like, you know, the, the guy with the temper, but, but I've seen him be compassionate to, to fans in ways probably that, that outshine any other bands that I'd ever, I'd ever seen along the way. And so, you know, there, there, there were definitely, there was a lot of, special things happening in that band and and you know the you know when you have when you then throw in the mix of like a micah and a dennis you know dennis being very more pragmatic and very logical and kind of running the the, the business side of the band and micah just being the guy that everybody could rely on and talk to and you know like i remember one of my favorite memories of doing that first record is uh and of course i didn't know these guys at the time and so we were, I can't remember who we were tracking, Keith or somebody, but I would just, I would just see two people run past my, my studio door. I just kept it open at that point in the control room and just Micah just giggling, like just giggling and giggling. And basically I finally found out that Scott was just running around tickling him. <laughs> and that was it. I mean, like for a good half hour, you know what I mean? And he was, he was trying to get Micah to, to smell his armpit or something like that. You know what I mean? Sure. But he was just running around. And, you know, I mean, these are like the, these memories of these guys that I have that are, that are just very, even through the negative times, um, uh, we're, we're really, you know, like probably the, the third album, which, uh, which was the third album? That was... Um, there's Quantity's Job One, and then there's yeah, also third quantities. full length, which is all yeah. the hype. Yeah, so Quantity. Quantity was probably the most difficult album out of all of them um at that point um somehow and keith and reese had gotten and i love keith too i mean the he was he was the most easy calm guy that just always sought out to do the right thing kind of like i hate to put it in this context because he, he's not at all but he, you know, like a hank hill you know from, from, from <laughs> sure. the hill you know like sure. always trying to do the right thing you know yeah and more soft-spoken and just a rock kind of a guy but Keith and Reese were in a, they were not, they hadn't spoken. I, I think they didn't speak together to each other for two months. They were so mad at each other. 
Wow. And, and I didn't even know that going into that album. I just found out. And that was one of the, the only the album that we recorded in Denver. At that time, they were so exhausted. You know, they'd said to Frank, like, we don't want to go to California. And, and they love out here. But he's like, we, we need to be at home. And so, so he's like, okay, well, I'll fly Saki out there and we'll, we'll track it out there. And so I remember, you know, we literally, we didn't even go through very much band rehearsal. And each member came in on their own. You know, it was just like one member at a time, basically, because there was there was so much tension, and um, and stuff going on at that time, and um, and then it was interesting. Um, I remember, when, you know, one of my best memories. You know, well, I, you know, Leonardo and I always had a tradition. As soon as she finished her tracks, we'd go out to dinner somewhere nice, and that was always great. But I remember when um, the the song "Ugly Day" came around. Which no, no, I'm sorry, not "Ugly Day," uh, "Dandelions." Mm-hmm. And which is one of my favorites of theirs. Um, Dennis had originally wrote, written, written the music of that, and uh, you know, and, and for him it was Rhubarb Pie, which they right. released later on. And I remember Reese was going, I, you know, I'm not digging these lyrics, and part of it was like, you going, well, that's because you don't like anybody else writing lyrics. You know, that was that was my initial thought. You know what uh-huh. I mean? You know, and I get it. You know, we we're right in the middle of that whole thing. Yeah, and then he's like, "Well, I'm going to take a crack at this," and and it was interesting. I'm like, going, "Oh, this is going to be rough because Dennis is not going to be happy about this and all that." And and it was he, Reese. I, I was we we're sitting in the control room. Reese goes, uh, hands the paper to Dennis. Goes, "Here's here's the lyrics I'm thinking for this song." So I, I'm not. I, I don't know if he said I'm not really you know digging yours or anything like that, but he's you know. And it was, and I'm like going, oh crap, here it comes, you know what I mean? Like here comes another point of tension in the band. And it was great. Dennis read through the lyrics and goes, I would be honored to have these lyrics on this song. Mm, wow. That's cool. You know, and I thought that was just a really cool moment again of some of the maturity that occurred in that band. Because I mean, I don't know how, you know, I mean, you think about the lyrics for Dandelions, you know, me with kids now. Yeah. It's like almost tear jerking, you know? Right. And, yeah. And, you know, and it's just so, it's, it's just, it's such a brilliant image in that song you know how he ties in and how he ties into the faith and yeah and all that so um so you know like there there were things like that that were going on that i just you know have burned into my memory and i don't all of us were sleep deprived through the all our all our 20s you know doing those things and uh and so it was you know like you know these are the you know some of the things that just stuck out to me like wow these are and i'm glad that these are the things because they're significant and they're almost all good and, and you know what I mean? Just great memories of that, that particular time. And, and in the midst, and in the midst of all that, you know, the Reese having his, his personal tragedies, then the band kind of fighting, not recording at the same time. Uh, during all that, you also have the pants rock opera. <laughs> right. So yeah. like the sort of like, part of like the peak of just absurdity and silliness. Yeah. And in, in 2020, you know, over 20 years later, people still talking about Bobby's pants and whose <laughs> pants are these and these sort of, and, and, and so just thinking about that, uh, the, there's sort of like this, this mystique around it and just like, um, it, and I'm, I've always wondered, can you shed any light on, on that and that, that kind of, it, 
how that came about and like what what prompted that during this time of like tension and sadness sure not not to not to just interrupt but um when this record this is the test pressing for quantum one with the custom art from doug tay maple as i flip it around this is the rejected test pressing and the reason it was rejected was because when they first pressed this they omitted the pants opera they forgot to put it on there or it wasn't part of like the Spotify poll that they had done. It wasn't part of it. Uh-huh. And so I called Leonor and I said, Hey, you guys, it doesn't have the pants opera on. So they <laughs> went and made them recut lacquers for the record, literally. So yeah. that the approved test pressing would have uh, the pants opera included on the vinyl pressing. So I would have, I would have gone and got my riot gear if the if that wasn't on there. <laughs> Ten copies of that record out there on on test pressing that exist without the pants opera. So gotta have the pants. Right. Um, yeah. So the the cool thing about the pants thing, and and I'm trying, I'm kind of digging back a little bit in my uh, oh, my man. memories here, but um, the I remember that that ended up being kind of like the thing that helped get them all in the room at the same time. Yep. Okay. Love it. Uh, um, Pants and, bringing them together. <laughs> yeah, it, it literally was because there was so much tension. And I remember feeling really bad for um, Brad because he really didn't know what to do. And he was really shy about being, sorry, I'm, I'm not meaning to not look at you guys. I'm trying to pull up something here that you guys might find fairly interesting if I can find it. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah. Um, Oh, here it is. And she all just want like Masaki's laptop to be in our field. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. What is My it? address yeah. is. Yeah. But um, yeah, so it was, it was kind of like the thing that helped bring them back together. And it was, and it, <laughs> and it felt good to just laugh. Yeah. yeah. And one different thing about that album was that, you know, like when we, when we were doing our albums out here in California, we were all living together, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we would, we would track crazy hours. We would track, I think we'd start at 10 and we would typically go till 10 at night and then we would go do something fun. And either it would, you know, we would hit, uh, you know, an adult beverage place or we would play Halo. Nice. (laughs) And so we would have, you know, we had, we had full, you know, Leonardo didn't, you know, play Halo, but, but the rest of us, we would just sit there and we had two Xboxes set up networked and just nice. The dream. Yeah, it was great. We would just play Halo all the time and we'd all be mad at Brad because he was better than better at it than all of us. So so the pants thing, you know, really helped, you know, like with this that record was so disconnected, you know what I mean? And and we weren't living together. We weren't going and doing fun things together. You know, we weren't eating meals together. You know, we were just it was very disconnected. And also that 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 also was the exit of Scott at that right, point. Right. Right. Yeah. And so there was also that tension as well, you know what I mean, as to what, you know, what happens. Scott was a big writing force of the band. Yeah. And so, you know, um, so there's some things about that that was like, kind of like, wow, you know, this, so the pants thing was the first time everybody was, in, I, it may have been the first time that most everybody was in the studio together at that point. And mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, there were, there were even, um, yeah, there are points in that record. I, I don't have great memories. You know, I, I just remember like, well, that was, that was a very tense time in my life, yeah. you know, trying to manage these guys, trying to get them not to rip each other's throats out. Reese was really frustrated through some of it. And, 
and you know like literally where i'm like okay let's let's take a break let's go to lunch let's do something you know let's and come back you know because he was he was a mad scientist you know what i mean when it comes to his words and when he got blocked you know what i mean it was very frustrating to him and i probably saw more of that on that album than um than any other album um, so you were saying about brad and the pants opera did you find what you're looking for yeah, I think so. I'm trying to even remember, you know, I, that's such a, I, you know, I remember, I think Leonor's was one of my favorites because she did her, you know, <laughs> very much her Latin thing, but I'm trying, I don't even remember what, honestly, that's Leonor's is probably the only one I can even think of right now. <laughs> Brad does the uh, reggae one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I think what I, we were just using some sort of dumb little music maker thing yeah. or something, uh-huh. you know, like some right. those pre-done tracks basically, but yeah. Yeah, it was um, that. So that, yeah. So the good thing about that is that it gave us all a moment to laugh and and to to root each other on. I remember we were kind of rooting on Brad. You know what I mean? And it, it just kind of changed the vibe. You know, of some of that that record. Um, a lot of that really, stuff's in that documentary where you see the actual video footage of him. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, the funny. I've never even watched that, so I, I feel bad about that. But what ended up happening is um, uh, that was near the time that my son was born, and I think he he managed to uh, well he, he was pretty young because he's in it but um but he yeah somehow the dvd got damaged damaged oh, well you need a new one. we can help you <laughs> yeah, with that. at yeah. some point yeah <laughs> seems like you're owed that at least <laughs> here's something that you might find interesting too because you know like reese has often told the story of um like what happened with every new day you know of course probably their most iconic song mm-hmm. and um you know like and the story, I don't know if you've ever, I've, I've seen so many of their shows. So I don't know if you've ever heard the story they talked about. But every, when he's talked about that song, he's, he's, I loved it because he didn't lie at all. He didn't stretch the truth. You know, his story was always that, like, you know, I was in the studio. We were coming down to the wire. We were literally scheduled to, scheduled to leave, you know, like hop on the bus and leave California. And I, was at, I had writer's block. And, and this was the last thing I had to do for the album. And then all of that is exactly true. And so I remember just thinking, you know, like, Reese, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to give you some time. You know what I mean? Just, and he, we would go back and forth and he would not like what, you know, what he had. And then, you know, we just like literally just down to the zero hour. And then, and that's, and then he came up with that, hmm. you know? And so, which if you guys ever wanted to hear, you know, I'm kind of glad that we're doing this on video. Cause I actually, when I was told about this, I was like, oh, I'm going to do this right. So I'm actually, you know, I didn't want to just use a laptop audio on this. So, so I got a direct line feed coming in. Sounds great. From my, oh, man. From my Pro Tools rig. But um, I dug up some of the, originally these were all recorded on ADATs. So okay. these are just direct transfers from ADATs. Um, and so there's no, you know, EQ or mixing. These are just some of the raw files. But so like I look back at like... Is that coming back in? Sounds, yeah, yeah. Sounds great. That's awesome. Yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, I'm wearing a lapel mic, so I don't, I'm trying not to have too much of that, kind of, you know, phase out on you. So, like, here's, if you want to ever hear, this is the isolated uh, Reese on every new day at the end. Mm. Men versus himself, men versus machine, men versus the world, mankind versus me. 
the struggles go on, the wisdom I lack, the burdens keep piling up on my back. So hard to breathe, to take the next step. The mountain is high, I wait in the depths, yearning for grace and hoping for peace. Dear God, increase healing hands. Love God, have mercy on our unclean souls. But, you know, you, you, it, That's it was, amazing. It was, a, it was a pretty magical moment in the studio, yeah. as well as it has also been a magical moment live, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so that, you know, that was, I, I pulled that up today and I was like, Oh, that was, that was, that was a great moment. You know? That is so cool to hear. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. There's lots of, uh, I don't, you know, most of this stuff is stuff you all heard. There's there's uh, Reese uh, kind of doing his Mark Solomon. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, Got any uh, any of his Zack De La Rocha style cuts? Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's see. Oh, you know, here's here's this was always one of my favorite things here too. I think is it this one? Hang on. Uh, yeah, this one. Oh, you know, I use this with my interns, so there's a little bit of a mix on this one. Um, I haven't had intern in a while, but we used to kind of play with some of these. Um. <laughs> I know, right? This is always funny to me because I, I remember when we recorded this. <laughs> <laughs> oh man well, i think that i think that cat was uh scott but it, it actually ended up being um like friends of most of that was friends of five minute walk Okay. I don't, I, there weren't actually too many band members in on that portion of it. Um, and you know what's so interesting is like, I do vinyl for Tooth and Nail and I have to license the artwork and it doesn't exist. And I try to get the original audio or the tapes and masters and they don't exist. Everything's gone for hmm. all of these releases that you would think would be slam dunks that these would be like preserved. MXPX, Life in General or Slowly. Oh Born. yeah. All these records that you think would be absolutely preserved in some sort of vault or museum and they're straight up gone forever yeah, yeah. and they're now i'm looking at you as uh, the self not to self-describe but the other described as you're a wizard uh in terms of your audio mixing and obviously now hearing that you have isolated tracks of all this stuff mm. i can't even like that's such a deep well of stuff yeah. like a fan like this podcast yeah. is all about the fans yeah, the experience about Five Iron Frenzy, knowing that you have that stuff is precious to us. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. cool. And yeah, I've, I've toyed around with like, oh, it'd be fun to, you know, you know, I listen to those mixes now, and I'm like, good lord, I've, you know, that's that's not representative of the work I do now. But of yep. course, you know, this is, you know, I mean, how many people are doing operating at the same level, you know, 17 years later or whatever, you know what I mean? Right. So the should have grown yeah. <laughs> at that right. point. Some of the lyrics, some of the art, some of the music, it's all of the times. And 
you hold that stuff sacred. So it's like if you George Lucas it too much, it's gonna <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So no, it was definitely it was it. Yeah, it was it was fun. This one's oh, this is just a mess. But yeah, these one. This was from. Uh, yeah, you should know this stuff. You can take away the trick of me. The progress suffers slowly as we regress, losing headway to ourselves. Behold the covers, the sisters, the go. mothers, the daughters. Killing in the name of. Yes, it must be heard. Nauseating at first. You can expect the worst. Some of their no effects type guitar lines, and yeah, for sure. I, oh, the bass is so good. Dogs without a leash is this how you keep the peace? You want riots? Wear your riot gear. I love the bass on that song so much. So great. Spark with lightning, boy, with shoes undone. What? He is young, so full of hope. Reveling in tiny dreams, filling up his arms with flowers, right for giving an a queen, running to her beaming bright while cradling his prize. A flickering of yellow light within his mother's eyes. She holds him to her heart. Keeping them where they'll be safe. Oh yeah, so we recorded them together on so on that particular album. We, yeah, that was an earlier one. What? Later yeah. ones, we started recording them separate. You okay. know, versus wow. uh, versus as as a section. It's sure. like it's like seeing how the sausage is made, but then wanting to put sausage. Yeah. yeah. So, Saki, I have a question about um, your. So we've we've talked to um, some producers um, and engineers. Like we talked with uh, Steve Kravak, who worked with yeah. MXPX. We talked right. with we talked with Bob Moon, um, and I'm always curious about the the level of input that each producer or engineer has on on the band how much and i think that that kind of varies steve kravak was saying it kind of varies from band to band but um you know i just going back and listening to you know we we discussed the cheeses of nazareth record recently and you listen to uh the demo version of old west and it is like an absolute snail's pace in terms of like Right. How they, how the new version, the new, the uh, the album version, yeah. um, it's just so much faster. And John and I talked about like how much of a different perspective we might have had on the band had we heard if the demo version was the actual version because that was the first song that John ever heard, and just the that opening guitar line and the the speed of it, it just it 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 just sort of explodes. Right. Um, especially on uh, the end is here on this this live record, it just sounds unbelievable. So yeah. I'm just curious about like, were you ever like, all right, guys, uh, pick up the pace. We gotta, we gotta, or or how? What was your process during all that? You know, we talked. I think probably the 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 majority of the stuff with Five Iron, and it it very, 
it varies per band quite a bit. So, so like at that time, you know, like, you know, um, I was working with a number of the five minute walk bands. And so with five iron, I recognized that, that there were leaders in that band mm-hmm. and, um, and, and that there were, there were chief songwriters and, and, you know, Scott, I mean, you know, he and I still talk on a very, you know, he just texted me the other day, you know, Billy Eilish, yes or no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, and, and, you know, we, and, um, and your answer was, uh, well, I, okay. So it, I'll come back to that in a second. Okay. 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 Because I, it's, I, it's not a yes uh, or no question. <laughs> well, it's actually a philosophical question for me. So, so beautiful. And I had this Into discussion, um, but, um, I recognize with five iron, most of the time, what I would do is I would try to send guys back and just like, I think this is, can be better. You know what I mean? I think you have it in you to, to give me, to get something better out of this. Or it just doesn't feel like this particular section is, is rocking hard enough or there, you know, I, it was more like I would express them what I was feeling, what I felt like I wanted this song to do, then left it up to them to create that. Mm-hmm. so on the opposite side of that was like you know like okay how can i do this without too much dirt slinging um but you know like uh, another one of the bands that i was working with i would just sit there okay let's i don't like any of the, the horn lines in these songs I, I don't think that they're appropriate i think we need to take the band in a whole different direction you know, you guys want to be ska slash swing. I think we need to go all in on swing because you guys are not five iron. Mm. And, um, and, and I've already recorded a great ska band and it, I can't make a record with you as good as their record, you know, <laughs> in that genre. So, so we would sit down and we'd get to the point where, okay, well, tell you what, let's, let's, let's write out charts for you guys. And let's do, you know, very much a very hands-on approach Yeah. Um, versus turning something over and saying, I know you can, you know, I know you guys can, can deliver me what I'm thinking on this, you know, and there's, and when, you know, they were always, you know, there's points where it's just like, you know, um, where they could reject my ideas and I'm okay with that. You know what I mean? I'm not, I didn't have so much skin in the game with them because I recognized that they're, if you got a lyric writer like Reese Roper sitting there, I'm not going to be like, here, let me, let me pen something for you. You know what sure. I mean? You you try to extract the greatness out of them, and you know, with a guy like Scott and Dennis in in the horn lines, it was more about like let's extract as much of your potential as we can. Sure. And so the, those those are kind of what we were, you know, you know. But there there was you know even like when I think about like the song um, Far Sighted, yeah. um, which I love. That's one of my favorite songs on that particular album. Same. I love the I love lyrically. What a great concept, you know what I mean? Just, just really, you know, and that's even beyond the, the faith aspect of it, it goes into a philo- philosophical, you know, you, do you, do you see the, the circumstance, you know, the, 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 um, uh, the, I can't think of the word right now, but you know, what happens to your actions and how they, how those actions push themselves and your rip, the ripple effect of your identity and what your actions go throughout history. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? And, and so I, I love that, that concept in that, but I remember there was no course in that, you know, where it goes the far side, it had to go. that was, that actually didn't in the, exist in the song. Hmm. And I just remember just sitting there listening to it going, I just, I'm, 
I'm not digging this guys. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just not, I don't, I, it feels like we just lose something right here. You know what I mean? I mean, the guitar riff is cool. It's super butt rock and all that, <laughs> but it just, I just don't think we can lose the vocal here. Mm. And, 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 can, and bring, you know, let's, let's, bring me something that's going to be good. You know what I mean? Or let's, let's, let's throw some stuff at the wall on this. And it was more about like turning it back over to them to, to, to try to get to the, you know, get what I was hoping to hear. Mm. So, so yeah, it's very different from band to band and how, how hands on you get, but five iron had enough genius in their circle to, to really just try to be the guy that extracts it. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So Yeah. <laughs> but, okay, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for everything and hanging out with us tonight. We really appreciate it, man. It's great to yeah. have you on and get to meet you and chat with you about all this stuff. It's like you're an infinite well of knowledge. And obviously, just to know that all this material exists for people somehow, some way to hear is incredible. And it's also, it's also quite comforting to know that it still exists, <laughs> you know, and cause to Jason's point, you know, the, the idea of some of this, these amazing records being lost to the ages and that you have like isolated tracks. That's just for, for a five iron fan who geeks out on this kind of stuff. That's like, that's, that's amazing. I love it. Well, we, we could do a five iron karaoke album, right? <laughs> oh yeah. That's yes, a vocal minus. That's but, a right. Patreon, uh, Patreon thing for us. Yeah, right, right. There you go. <laughs> I'll give you my two cents though on, on, on my conversation with Billy about. With uh, yes, about yes, Billy. please, yeah, please so, do it. So what I've told people, I actually like it. I, I recognize that Phineas is really the genius in that band. Mm. Um, he's, he's the chief songwriter. Um, Billy's very, she's talented. Um, when I first heard Ocean Eyes, I'm like, that is a really cool song. And then I found out her age. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's even more, more impressive yeah. that, that this girl. However, my, 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 beef, my beef with Billie Eilish it comes down to what's happening in society in general. And this, I'm going to get philosophical. And I don't, I'm not trying to pull any politics or anything like that. But I, I, you know, I, I pay attention a lot to, to what's happening as much as I can. And, and, and right now, nihilism is running rampant through, through young people. And, it, and I don't blame them at all, okay? Because they basically, they've got people on the left saying, the world is going to end in seven years, or 15 years will, will do irreparable damage to the planet, and we're never coming back from that, and we're on a trajectory to die. On the right, what they hear is they hear people saying, we don't even believe that stuff. We don't believe the scientists. We don't, we don't give a crap. We don't, basically what they say is we don't give a crap about your future. And so I don't blame any kid right now that's, that's, you know, in, that's between 15 and 25 um, embracing nihilism sure. you know, and finding that, that that's their identity. And what ends up happening is you have an artist like Billie Eilish come around who portrays nihilism. You know, she's got this idea. I don't care. I don't care what happens to me. You're the bad guy, whatever. You know, right. I'm, ex I'm almost expendable, right? And, and all of a sudden, boom. Because really, Billy, to me, I, I mean, I hated to say this to one of my friends, but so I, she's, she's kind of the Britney Spears of today. But, you know, at, at that point, you know, think about what was Britney Spears' appeal. All these young girls just thought, like, I want to be like her, this beautiful, 
party happy queen you know what i mean this this kind of thing she there wasn't really a dark side to her at, at that point you know what i mean when she initially came out and uh, and now we have an artist that's completely the opposite of it but what happens is that not just young girls but you know society in general is is embracing what she's portraying which is nihilism and i'm not saying that she is a nihilistic person but the image that she portrays and lyrically comes across that way and and that i think you know the it just as much as five iron if you were to strip out five irons lyrics and put different lyrics in it you may not embrace that song as much right you know what i mean especially like sucker punch or something like that. right you know I mean? sucker punch would be hey that's a fun happy song but then you look at the depth of the lyric in sucker punch you know what i mean so that's that's kind of i actually you know i i listened to i've listened to billy's both of her records i actually paid for both of them on cd because i don't that sounds crazy but i'd like to have uncompressed files if i can okay. and so um so so that's my take on her you know i think i think the art is done well and uh but it also raises concerns for me like why is this nihilism so delicious to everybody you know what i mean and, that, and yeah. that's that's you know i i really hope that as we move forward young people can find something to hope for or that they can find a way to to because nihilism is not you don't channel energy towards nihilism right in punk rock you channeled a lot of energy towards your anger right right, right. and and you 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 vocalized it and you you pushed against the system whereas nihilism is causing a lot of these people to just not care like what you're seeing down in um you know like okay and this will date this thing but what we're seeing in florida you know on the beaches right. i don't care if i get it yeah, yeah i don't care if you get it from me you know what i mean and and so and that's a nihilistic attitude and what it, why else well what does it matter because we're doing where the world is going to end in x amount of time because we are not taking steps to 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 work towards creating a future for our kids or for, yeah. for our generation so that's that's you know so the billy eilish thing gets kind of philosophical for me because i think it's systemic of her successes yeah it's great it's cool pieces of art but her success is also fueled by something to me that is uh, like a red flag in society hmm. what a that's, like mature adult take damn it love it it's yeah. really interesting i mean really especially especially in light of we're listening to so much five iron right now. And one thing we keep coming back to is they were able to pull off and still are able to pull off sincerity, but in a way that is not hokey in a way that really yeah. instills an empathy and an understanding people. And I think for us, that was both different from the sort of like secular punk ska world and separate from like, you know, the worst aspects of the Christian music industry at the time, just that, that sincerity. So that's an interesting thing to sort of yeah. be holding both of those approaches uh, next to each other right now. So yeah. anyway. Yeah. But also kind of what you were talking about earlier about Reese, not really caring about being a cool right, front right, right. man and, and how earnestness and sincerity, especially in the nineties was not a cool look to like, to where it, your heart on your sleeve. This was like pre, yeah. pre like popularity of emo and everything like that. Right. And so, um, and that's something too, as, as somebody who is um, earnest and sincere and emo as hell, like that was something that really was a very, a, a very attractive quality in the band. So yeah, the, uh, the nihilistic stuff, it's, 
it, it it's attractive because I mean it's 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 yeah because it's easy and it's lazy. Yeah. You don't yeah. have to you don't have to think if you're just like well nothing matters who cares. Uh, you, and you can just stay there and it's easy to stay there. But caring yeah. about somebody and loving somebody and it, it's it takes it takes effort. But again to your action. to your point. It's hard to blame people when when they're when they're uncertain when there's a whole lot of uncertainty, right? All right. And on that note, I <laughs> thank you for sharing your takes. Yeah. I mean, it was Thanks so, so special to talk to you and to hear the stuff that you you know uh, prepared for us, the, the isolated tracks and everything else. Thank you so yeah. much. Oh, let me. You know what? Can I throw in one last thing? Just because I think this is because I know we derailed off of the the end is here. Sure. Real quick. I, I just want I, the one thing I just wanted to say about that album is that that the album itself is the entire performance of the last show. There are no other performances okay. spliced into that show. And okay. I remember when I when I saw that show when I was sitting there, you know, like you know, trying to hold back the tears at the end. But I but from a very pragmatic producer guy, I just said those guys just played the shows of the, the show of their lives. This was easily by far the best show of this entire tour. And I don't think I need to use any cutouts from any other show. Wow. And, and we never did. So I that was that. That's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. That was the, wow. the whole deal. So that out, al- that album is at much more, as much like them proof. The use has, has, has many cutouts, but that album is much like them. That is, it's the real thing. And it was genuine. Yeah. That was one of the questions I had going in, whether that was the case. It's, uh, yeah. I mean, they sound great as a band and the sound sounds great. I mean, yeah. when I was listening again for this episode, the first couple tracks, I'm like, man, this sounds amazing. And then Reese yeah. says, that's because of Saki that it sounds like. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you for making that, uh, creating yeah. that sound. Yeah, thanks, brother. It's so good okay. to talk to you. Well, it was great take, talking to you guys. Yeah, have a good night. You thanks too. so thanks. much. Take care. Take care. Bye. Man versus himself, man versus machine. Man versus the world, mankind versus me. The struggles go on, the wisdom I lack. The burdens keep piling up on my back. So hard to breathe, to take the next step. The mountain is high, I wait in the depths. Yearning for grace and hoping for peace. Uh, so this is the end is the end is here episode. I was there at this show. It's so apropos that we're sitting at the end times of the world. <laughs> exactly. And yet at the same time, it's funny how Five Iron Frenzy and as it turns out, life will find a way to move on beyond this. Mm. Probably restore itself. It might take mm. eight years. However, uh, you know, at that moment at this show, there was nothing more prescient for anybody in that room than like feeling the consequence of like, I took this philosophy class at my senior year in college and the philosopher said, I have no tests. I have no homework. I've got nothing. All I want you to do is feel your ass in the seat. Mm. That's it. And I'm going to talk at you for the next semester and if you can feel your ass in this seat at the end of this, I'll ask you that one question as you walk out. If you're here, you get an A. And I'm going to tell you right up front, uh, that's what everybody in that room was doing for the end is here. That's what you and I and all of us are doing right now. We got to kind of 
breathe together collectively in this moment. So I sent you guys both a bourbon. Yes. Uh, Thank you, sir. That I call um, the life and death bourbon or the beginning and end bourbon. Love it. Um, The reason it's called that is because I only ever share this bourbon with anybody that I care about uh, at the beginning of a life cycle or the end of a life cycle. Uh, So I've, I've, poured this whiskey out at uh you know friends of mine whose parents have died or friends who have died or uh when people have babies and we go celebrate and propose a toast to the new life that is born out of this and it's ironic because right now we sit at the precipice of something interesting happening in culture and history with this stupid virus happening everywhere you go and people's lives are both ending and beginning as a result of this they're finding a new sense of freedom and they're quarantined family time and a sense of loss and despair at the same time. And the concert was no different for me. Uh, And Mm. certainly we've had our shares of ups and downs this year as individuals with the sense of loss that we've gone through and the new beginnings that we have to face uh, together. And so uh, with that in mind, uh, I sent you a video of what this bourbon is. I hope you guys are able to enjoy a toast to the end and the beginning uh, of Five Iron at the same time. Their, their lives began that night, and they mm. also ended that night, and they started anew. Mm. Kind of like a Phoenix situation, but it's pretty cool. So that's why I wanted to propose a toast to Five Iron Frenzy in their first incarnation, and uh, you're drinking the Pappy Van Winkle 23 year. Ooh. Oh, wow. Well, let me, uh, I just want to play a little bit of the, uh, this audio. <laughs> Sounds like some MIDI file action. This is video of Jason preparing his mini bottles for us. Yes, it would seem as such. As it, uh, okay. as it, turns and it out, sounds sounds like uh sounds like some Owl City. Yeah, sure. This. Why not? Uh, <laughs> as it turns out, that's the most expensive bourbon in the world. Wow. What? Yeah. What? It's not, though. it's not important. I just wanted to give what Danny Stairs some some shit about giving you guys shit about Cobalt being such bottom shelf stuff. Uh-huh. Did you ever drink the good bourbon? Well, here it is, my friends. Oh, Jason, hey, this man. very Thank well you, said, very generous. Yes, yes. as um, usual, beautifully said, a very I'm gonna, kind gesture. Um, I'm, I'm gonna. I'm I'm not gonna pour all of this. I'm gonna tell save. Me think, tell me yes. what you think of it, please. Cheers. Hey, cheers. Down. Cheers, guys. To the end of the world and to the beginning. Oh, that goes down smooth. Oh, that's good. Oh, uh, that is it's it's Ooh, super it, I'm trying to think if I've ever had this before. No, I, wow. you haven't. Okay. <laughs> um, I've not, definitely not had this. Um, you have at a bar, uh, you know, spare $250 a, a shot. No, right. I do not. No. Oh my God. Um, it like the moment it hits your tongue, it like it, you, there's like a, like a sweetness to it. Um, yeah. and, uh, like it, it tastes like, um, I don't know what it's casked in, whether it's like a, like a, like a cognac or, 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 own thing it's proprietary it's pappy van winkle man it's buffalo trace bourbon barrels aged for 23 years and sitting in in kentucky in bartstown man oh man all those years ah oh, that's so delicious american wood 
American oak and enjoying itself. Uh, and it's the most sought after thing you can look for, but uh, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. I'm happy you guys are happy. That's all that matters. I don't have a lot of time. I've got like a few yeah. minutes left, honestly. The hockey sure. thing was my big treat and surprise to you guys because I thought his perspective on the band and yes. the show was way more than I could ever afford to offer you guys. Frankly. Sure. My experience as a fan of this night was so emotional. There was so much depth. There was so much um, fulfillment musically from the moment that the Old West comes in. And I watched Five Iron sell out a theater that they'd never sold out before. That was a 3,000 cap venue. Yeah. And watching that swell of people going back and forth like the ocean tides, uh, to those songs with so much energy and so much punch at the beginning of that uh, set with Old West, Handbook, and, and Zero Meets 15. The way yeah. that the audience swayed was unlike anything I'd ever seen before. It was packed out as anybody who was at that show will tell you. It was freezing outside and the warmth of everybody's kind of collective bodies was um, certainly welcome, a welcome sight for everybody. Yeah. I remember uh i i remember for the last song the last two songs world without an end i remember brad's mom coming up to me her name was jackie and everybody in the denver scene called her ska mom because she had taken <laughs> scum ska mom had taken in all of the homeless kids all of the punk rock bands all of the kids in the scene of christian music and would pray for them and had special notes written for them and she came up and gave me the biggest hug for maybe World Without an Ender or every mm. day. And we just sat and cried. And mm. that was wow. a common occurrence for every song. So there couldn't be a song where I wouldn't, like I could listen to at least I'm not like all the other old guys and have a visceral emotional experience of crying with a stranger or yeah. somebody who I barely knew who had had a collective experience over the last eight years with Five Iron Frenzy at some point that just emotionally and cathartically was out on the table that night for everybody. The band was a wreck. Yeah. They were emotionally so, um, so loose and so just at their absolute wits end. They were frightened. They were excited. They were terrified. It was just amazing to see them wow. with all those emotions coming together, pull off as Masaki just described the show of a lifetime and the tightness of a lifetime. Because the night before in Boulder, they played the small Colorado intimate 400 cap venue. Hmm. Literal seats, like theater seating in that theater the night before. And they were, um, they were a hot mess. <laughs> uh, we're like sitting there like as fans going, they are not ready for their last show. They're yeah. not gonna be able to pull this off. They sound awful. They sound out of out of tune. Like it's just Reese is still forgetting lyrics like he always did for the last <laughs> decade. Uh -huh. um, how is this gonna come together? And and I will say that of all the memories that I personally have as a fan, and anybody who was there who can resonate with this band's emotional core, uh, what they stood for was that ending moment where Reese uh, sort of said it's it's blizzarding outside it's snowing outside and i want to sing silent night yeah and that was it like everybody sang silent night and walked out of the theater in a hush mm. it, it, i swear to you i kid not kid you not 
they probably still had at least two, three, four grand worth of merch for their band uh, sitting in their merch table that they did not care whether or not they sold because they wanted everybody to walk out of the theater together in reverence. Mm. And so, so cool. That was a pretty magical thing. There wasn't a line for the merch table. And I remember thinking that was odd. Usually, yeah, right, people, right. especially the last show ever, yeah. you would think that that line would be serpentined all throughout the whole venue at the end of that show. But yeah. just simple words of saying, let's walk out singing Silent Night together mm. was enough for uh, 3,000 people in mass to just go, yeah, he's right. Mm. There's no more time than right now. And it was November yeah, right. when the show happened or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and the Christmas spirit was not wow. upon everybody at that point, but it was like a hopeful goodbye. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a little coffee shop hangout the next morning at this place down where I live now in South Denver. And the band uh, probably didn't sleep at all that night. And they showed up and they said hi to the, you know, 200 fans who had stuck around to go do the signings and meet and greets and stuff like that at the coffee shop. But uh, there's nothing to say. He said, thank you. But like, you know, you didn't, that didn't mean anything to you or to them at that moment. Everybody was still kind of shell shocked about it. So, yeah, that said, yeah. I know you guys got to go through a whole album <laughs> of stuff. I wish you luck on that. I wish I could be part of it, but I'm glad that Saki got to tell his story because I think that's freaking cool. And what other platform than your guys' podcast to be able to do that? It seems Dude, you've so given good, us, man. you've given us two very generous gifts this evening. Yeah. And yeah. we, we we really appreciate you. We really um, appreciate all that you do for music fans um, with unoriginal vinyl, um, with getting physical media into the hands of people who truly appreciate it. Um, and just uh, being a part of being a part of this um, from the beginning, pretty much almost the beginning yeah. of, of, of our pod and just being a, a, uh, just a good friend and a supporter of this. Um, it means, it means a lot to us. I mean, it really does. Yeah, brother. Yeah. Like I said, this is the ironic end is here because it's also the beginning of something else that sort of started in people's lives. So especially you, Andrew, this is the beginning right now at this moment. It seems like life's chaotic right now and it is, but there's some new stuff ahead of you that you can't see yet. That's, and I'm excited mm. for you on that. Thanks, man. It means a Have lot. You. Have a good night. You too, man. Thank you Thanks. so much. Take care. We Talk really to, appreciate yeah. it. Talk to you soon. Yep. Bye. So I don't know if I have enough uh, thanks or nice things that I could even say to uh, to encapsulate uh, how grateful I am to have been able to speak with both Misaki and Jason tonight about nerdy, deep cut five iron stuff. Yeah. And I hope everybody... Um, who's listened can truly appreciate uh, what a gift um, this was to yeah. be able to happen. This has been uh, a very uncertain week. We are quarantined. Uh, it's been a struggle in our household. And uh, this was such a, a gift um, to have this come this week. So it really lifted, it really lifted me up. I feel this is probably the, uh, this moment, this time tonight, is probably the best mood I've been in all week. <laughs> yeah, uh, co-sign that. <laughs> um, yes, I, everyone. I, yeah. Go ahead. 
No, just everything's the worst. And it's. <laughs> <laughs> I've been looking forward to seeing your face and talking yeah. to you and um, just, uh, yeah, it was weird because it was like, with with so much uncertainty going into this episode, there was also a level of uncertainty. So <laughs> yeah, uh, sure. to come out of it feeling really uh, seen by Jason, loved by Jason, and uh, a pre and just feeling, I just feel uh, lots of appreciation for yeah for our dude tonight. Everyone should Masaki. yeah, everyone should go check out at Unoriginal Vinyl on Instagram. Check out the many uh, amazing uh, vinyl reissues he's done, put together himself. Go buy those uh, physical uh, records he's put together. Support him in that work. Support uh, Masaki and, and the records that he's uh, put together. Go check those out. If you have not purchased any of those lately, uh, go check out Jason's episode of Labeled, the Tooth and Nail podcast. It's a, a really fascinating conversation kind of about it's like an in-depth history of a Christian bookstore world and their relation to music distribution. And he gets really into vinyl licensing and production and reissuing. And he just puts so much care and intentionality into um, what he has done for the scene that we care about a lot and uh, vinyl in general. So yeah, go support this guy. Yeah. You know, in a world where people are, so careless and thoughtless it's nice to know a dude who is extremely thoughtful and intentional about the stuff that he does yeah so um i guess we'll do all the usual closing (laughs) stuff even (laughs) though this is unusual um but yes please let us know what you thought about this conversation at magnified pod on insta insta instagram twitter and facebook subscribe if you haven't already and give us a rating or a review Email us at magnifiedpod at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 872-762-4763, 877-MAGPOD. Support us at patreon.com slash magnifiedpod. Pick up some merch at magnifiedpod.storeenvy.com. Thank you to Heavy Ordnance Studios, Daniel Leary for our artwork. And thank you, thank you, thank you to our shadow producer, Jason at Unoriginal Vinyl. Well, time is winding down, but only for this episode. We want you to be found enjoying the next episode when we will discuss The End Is Here. Life was new.